from Christmas, and if we follow the, the church calendar, we won't be talking about Christmas again for another 10 and a half and 11 months. Uh, but this morning, as we continue our series, The Great Rescue, I want to return to the Christmas story. John's Gospel, we have three Gospels that give an account of Christmas. And one of them, the Gospel of John, is unlike the other two. So Matthew and Luke give an account of Jesus, but they do so kind of at a ground level. They tell you all of the key players, Mary and Joseph and the, the shepherds and the angels. John gives an account of Christmas, but it's more of a, from a cosmic perspective. He's kind of talking about what, what's going on with Christmas. What's the, the purpose of Christmas? And the climax of that in John chapter 1 comes in verse 14. And so our, our primary text today is just one verse, verse 14 of chapter 1. And it says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That sentence in John chapter 1 is, I believe, the fullest, the richest, and at the same time, the most succinct uh, account of Christmas. What is Christmas? Christmas is the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. The word becomes flesh. The word, the one who earlier in John chapter 1 he said was in the beginning with God and he was God. He's with God in the beginning. Through the word, all things were created. Without the word, nothing was created. In him is life, and that life is the light of all mankind. And as we continue to read John chapter 1, we learn that he's talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the second member of the Godhead, the second member of the Trinity. This Jesus stepped out of heaven and became a human being. Fully man, 100% man, yet not giving up any of his divinity. 100% man, 100% God. Merry Christmas. This is what Christmas is. So that's what we celebrate. This happened at a moment in time some 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus came, lived among us, and then after a very short life, about 33 years, he returned to heaven. We call that the ascension. He, he ascended to heaven. When he left heaven and came to earth, we call that the, the incarnation. It's not a word we use a lot, but that, that's the word. It, incarnation, which literally means he took on flesh. So that's what Christmas is, the incarnation the embodiment of God here on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. But the question remains, so why do we make such a big deal about it? And if you think about the church calendar, we only have 52 Sundays every year. And we take at least four of those Sundays to talk specifically about Christmas. Why do we make such a big deal about Christmas? Well, we do so because we understand that the incarnation of God here on earth is all about one thing. It's about rescue. 
It's about our rescue. It's about the rescue of this world. And so we make it a big deal because it, it is a big deal. John, in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he says, He came to that which was his own. He came to the world that he created, but his own, this world, rejected him. And yet, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He rescued them. So Christmas is all about rescue. It is the story of God choosing to invest himself in our rescue, not from afar, not from a, a heavenly distance, but up close. Christmas is about how God invested himself up close and personal in our own rescue. The author Eugene Peterson, a number of years ago, wrote a paraphrase of the Bible in which he was trying to put it in really simplified language. And I don't love all of it, but I love how he translates verse 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You see, the incarnation is not just about Jesus taking on flesh, but it's also and as much about him moving into the neighborhood. It's about him making his dwelling among us. Again, he doesn't rescue us from afar. In order to rescue us, in order for us to know God, in order for his presence to be an open door like we, had, we just sang, he had to fully invest himself, become like us in every way. You might say he had to get his hands dirty, up close, personal. So December 25th, 2023, came and went. And the very next Sunday, we were here turning our sights to 2024, thinking about the, the next year. But I, I wonder, instead of just thinking of Christmas as this one big event that we celebrate one time a year, if we ought not think about Christmas as something that is a continual event. So, excuse me, Jesus incarnated himself here on earth, really, if you think about it, for the briefest of times. 33 years, that is it. And then he ascends. And, and during those 33 years, he accomplished his primary objective by rescuing and reconciling the world to himself through his death and through his resurrection. So mission accomplished. Like John said, all who receive him, all who believe in his name, now have an open door to become children of God. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture says you will be saved. Jesus accomplished that during his 33 years. So he accomplished his mission in full, returns to the Father, but in returning to the Father, he has not abandoned this world. Jesus didn't say as he departed, I've done all that I can do, and now you're on your own, good luck. No, instead he leaves behind a band of disciples. Men and women during those three years of ministry that he was living into, that he was equipping, he leaves them 
behind so that now they can invest their lives in making Jesus known. It's absolutely remarkable. Jesus said to his disciples, it is for your benefit that I go. I mean, how can that possibly be? How could it be for the benefit of this world that, that Jesus leaves this earth and ascends to the Father? It is like a, a fire truck driving away from a house that's still on fire. Like, this, how can this possibly be a good thing? We can understand the disciples being anxious about that. Like, don't, don't go, don't leave us. What are we going to do? The fire truck is floating away, ascending away as Jesus goes up to heaven. Well, why is this a good thing? It's a good thing because he is leaving behind a fleet, an entire fleet of fire trucks. He is leaving behind an entire department of firemen and firewomen and fire children. He leaves behind his band of disciples, but, but not really, because he says, when I go, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. So he actually really hasn't left us behind. He sent to us the Holy Spirit. And consider this, the Holy Spirit is no less God than Jesus is God. So what, what John wrote about Jesus in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, could have just as easily said that about the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was God, and the Holy Spirit was with God. And so Jesus has sent to us the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and made his dwelling with the disciples. So he is like Jesus in that he is fully God, but he is unlike Jesus, that instead of choosing to incarnate himself and become a human being, instead he chooses to dwell in every single believer. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit actually lives in you? God lives in you, so he hasn't incarnated himself Instead, he's chosen to, to live in you and to live in me. So now, instead of having one fire truck moving into one neighborhood at a time, originally there was 12, and then there was 70, and then there was 120, and in a few hundred years, there were over 30 million fire trucks going into a whole lot of neighborhoods. So for the last 2,000 years, that's been God's primary means of rescue. It's us. It's his church. Now, Jesus did what none of us can do. Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of all who trust in him. He is the capital R rescuer, the capital S savior, the capital M Messiah. And it is so vitally important that we remember this. Because I don't believe that the world, the neighborhood, needs a lot of people running around with blue leotards and red capes and an S on their chest thinking that they're the superhero that God has sent to, to save everybody. I don't think the world needs us to show up with some kind of Messiah complex, like we're the Savior. We are not the Savior. 
We are not the, the capital R rescuer. That is, is God and God alone. So all of that is true. But what's also true is that it is God's will to use his people, to use his church, empowered by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to be his instruments of rescue. So we don't need to show up with our superhero outfits, but we do need to show up. We do need to show up. We are called to live incarnationally. So again, Merry Christmas. We are the ones now who are called to live incarnationally, which means we are, we are called to show up in the flesh. We're called to invest ourselves. We're called to get our hands dirty. God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need Crossview. But it brings him pleasure and it brings him glory to use us. And so that's what he's chosen to do. So you might say every day is Christmas. Every single day is Christmas. Every day we're called to show up. Every day we're called to live with our eyes open, looking for where God is at work. Every day we're, we're called to live with our ears attuned to that voice of the Holy Spirit that lives in us saying, here, here, not there, here. The harvest is plentiful. The needs are many, but the laborers are few. And so if you have a heart that wants to be used by God for his rescue purposes, and you have this reflex that you've trained in yourself to say yes, when the spirit leads, I'm going to say yes then make no mistake, God's going to use you. I have no doubt. Last week, we were, we were talking about this same theme, and, and I ended the service saying, I, I wonder if this next week, uh, if God's going to bring some opportunities in, in front of all of us now that we're living with our eyes open and our ears are, are attuned. Uh, I don't know uh, what he did for you, but he did that for me the very next day. Uh, I was made aware of a need, and because we had just talked about it, my reflex was just to say yes. God's, God told me, I'm going to use you, but you've got to say yes. And so that's what he wants us, to, to say yes, not to everything, but to where his spirit leads us. So as we're living incarnationally, as we're living on mission, there is so much for us to learn about how Jesus did it. So we go back to the Gospels and, and we read and, and learn, Jesus, how did you live incarnationally? And one of the things that we, we learn right away is that Jesus didn't rescue every person in distress. And that's, that's a hard lesson, but as we look through the scriptures, we notice not everybody got rescued. Just remembering that fact alone is going to go a long way in helping us not adopt a Messiah complex. Like, I'm here to, to, to save everybody. I'm here to save the world. We're not. We're here to, to follow the Spirit's leading because not even Jesus healed everybody. So Jesus didn't rescue every person in distress, but as we read the Gospels, what we observe 
is that he consistently, continually moved purposefully towards people in distress. Jesus moved towards suffering. He moved towards need. And there's so many examples. So one, he's traveling through Jericho. And there's a man named Bartimaeus who is blind. And he hears that Jesus is passing through. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone starts to rebuke him. Even the disciples, they rebuke him. And they say, don't trouble the rabbi. Well, it turns out the rabbi wants to be troubled. And he stops. And no, he says, call him to me. Instead of telling him to be quiet, call him to me. The rescuer is moving towards suffering. He's moving towards need. Another occasion, Jesus is traveling on on an important mission to, to, to rescue a child who's ill And there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and and she just thinks, if I can touch the hem of his robe, I will be healed. And so she does that, and instantly she's healed. And Jesus stops. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples start to try and move everyone away from him, but instead he said, no, who is it that touched me? He wants to draw her to him because he knows that she needs something more than just physical healing. She needs him to look her in the eye, say, daughter, your faith has saved you. We're sinners, just sinners in general. Jesus didn't go out of his way to avoid sinners. Actually, just the opposite. He went out of his way to eat with sinners. So he understood his mission. Consider this scripture. He right at the very front end of his ministry. He's gone into the wilderness, he's been tempted, and now he's come out of the wilderness, and in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he goes into a synagogue, he's handed the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from it, we might call this his coming out party. This is what he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So the Savior that we worship has a heart that is bent on rescue. He moves towards suffering. He moves towards need, to the poor, to the blind, to the prisoner, to the oppressed, to the stranger, to the least, the last, the lost, and the left behind. He's a firefighter. When others are running from the fire, Jesus is entering into the fire. So he ascended 2,000 years ago. But he has not stopped caring for the neighborhood He doesn't intend to to care from the neighborhood from a distance. He cares about the neighborhood up close and personal through me, through you, through Crossview Church, a vast department of firefighters all across this globe. You and I are at our best when we are living lives with Uh, hearts 
uh, bent on rescue. We are at our best when we live our life that way. We're at our best when we are defending the cause of the weak and the fatherless. We're at our best when we are maintaining the rights of the poor and the oppressed. We're at our best when we are invested in rescuing the weak and the needy. We are at our best when we are pointing people to the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's true about us individually. It is true about us collectively as a church. Crossview Church is at its best when we are invested in rescue in the neighborhood, up close and personal. Because then we're aligned with God's purpose for us. That's true. And what's also true is that we are at our worst when we are not invested in rescue. You, me, our church, we are at our worst when, when the opposite is true, when our, when our eyes are closed to the needs of those around us, when we are no longer tuned in to the Spirit's prompting, or when we know the Spirit's prompting, but instead of saying yes, we're saying no. We're at our worst when we order our life in such a way for maximum convenience, maximum pleasure, and minimal inconvenience. The church is at its worst when it becomes insular, when it becomes comfort-minded instead of rescue-minded. The church is at its worst, worst when it is extractional. Extractional, meaning we're, we're pulling people out of the neighborhood and into our orbit of church life, and then everything just becomes about church life. The church is at its best when we are actually sending people into the neighborhood, when we are incarnational, when we are missional. So I want to close with this thought. In John chapter 1, he said that Jesus is the light of the world. He says he's the true light of the world. And so listen to what the true light says. At the end of his Beatitudes in Matthew 5, he turns to his disciples, the true light of the world, and says, y'all are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The Holy Spirit living in you is the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, should not be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Instead, they place it on its stand so that it gives light to everyone, so that everyone may see and glorify their Father in heaven. That is our call this week into the neighborhoods that we live to be the light of the world.